Chapter 15 of Zadig. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zadig, or the Book of Fate, by Voltaire. Chapter 15 The Basilisk. As Zadig was traversing a verdant meadow, he perceived several young female Syrians, intent on searching for something very curious that lay concealed, as they imagined, in the grass. He took the freedom to approach one of them and ask her, in the most courteous manner, if he might have the honour to assist her in her researches. "'Have a care,' said she. What we are hunting after, sir, is an animal that will not suffer itself to be touched by a man. "'Tis somewhat surprising,' said Zadig. "'May I be so bold, pray, as to ask you what you are in pursuit after, that shuns the touch of anything but the hands of the fair sex?' "'Tis, sir,' said she, "'the basilisk.' "'A basilisk, madam?' said he. And pray, if you will be so good as to inform me, with what view are you searching after a creature so very difficult to be met with? Tis, sir, said she, for our lord and master Ogul, whose castle, you see, situate on the riverside at the bottom of the meadow. We are all his vassals. Ogul, as you must know, is in a very bad state of health and his first physician has ordered him, as a specific, to eat a basilisk boiled in rose water. And as that animal is very hard to be catched, and will suffer nothing to approach it but one of our sex, our dying sovereign, Ogul, has promised to honour her that shall be so happy as to catch it for him, so far as to make her his consort. The case being thus circumstantiated, sir, I hope you will not interrupt me any longer, lest my rivals here in the field should happen to circumvent me. Zadig withdrew, and left the Syrian ladies in quest of their imaginary booty, in order to pursue his intended journey. But as he came to the banks of a rivulet, at the remotest part of the meadow, he perceived another young lady, reclined on the grass, and entirely disengaged. Her stature seemed majestic, but her face was covered with a veil, and her eyes were fixed as one at her looking-glass on the river. Every now and then a sigh burst out, as if her heart were breaking. In her hand she held a little wand or rod, with which she was tracing out some characters on the dry sand that lay between the flowery bank she sat on and the purling current. Zadig's curiosity induced him, unperceived, to observe her operations at some distance. But approaching nearer and perceiving very distinctly the first character to be an Z, the next an A, and the third a D, he started. 
but when he saw the additional capitals of I and G, his astonishment was too great for words to express. He stood for some time perfectly thunderstruck, and as motionless as a statue. At last, in a soft, faltering tone, he broke silence. O oh, generous lady, said he, forgive a stranger, one overwhelmed with sorrows, like yourself, if he asks you, by what amazing accident he finds the name of Zadig, delineated by so angelic a hand. Thus unexpectedly interrupted, and at the sound of those words she turned her head, and with a trembling hand, lifting up her veil, she espied Zadig himself, upon which she shrieked, and as her heart was fluttered between the two extremes of transport and surprise, she fainted away and gently dropped into his arms. Twas, it seems, Astarte herself, twas the Queen of Babylon, "'Twas the very goddess whom Zadig adored. "'Twas, in short, the very identical lady "'whose heart-fate he had so long deplored, "'and for whose sake he had felt so many agonising pains. "'For a few minutes he stood speechless, "'and deprived, as it were, of all his senses, "'whilst his eyes were fixed on his astarte, who began to revive, and cast a wishful glance at him, attended with some confusion. O oh, ye immortal powers, cried he, who preside over the destiny of us frail mortals, ye have restored me my Astarte. But alas, at what a conjuncture, in what a place, and in what a state and condition do I view her? He threw himself prostrate on the ground, and kissed the dust of her feet. The Queen of Babylon raised him up, and obliged him to sit by her on the flowery bank whereon she was reposed. Every now and then she wiped her eyes, as the tears trickled down afresh her lovely cheeks. Twenty times she endeavoured to renew her discourse but was interrupted by her sighs. She asked him, over and over, to relate to her the hardships he had ran through since their parting, and by what chance he came to traverse the solitary meadow, but prevented him, at the same time, from returning any answer, by repeating question upon question. At last, she gave him a particular detail of her own misfortunes, and again requested to know his. Both of them, in short, having in some measure appeased the tumult of their souls, Zadig, in a few words, informed her of the motives that brought him thither. But tell me, O oh unfortunate though ever-venerable queen, how I came to find you out, reclining on this verdant bank, dressed in this servile habit, accompanied by other female slaves, who I find have been all day long in quest after a basilisk, 
which, as I understand, is by order of a celebrated physician, to be dissolved in rose water, as a specific medicine for his dying patient. While they busy in their fruitless search, said the beauteous Astarte, I'll tell you the whole series of sorrows which I have undergone since last we parted. And since heaven has thus unexpectedly blessed my eyes, once more with the sight of my dear Zadig, I'll no longer exclaim against my impropitious stars. You are not insensible that the jealous king, my spouse, was disgusted to find you the most amiable of all mortals, and that for no other reason he determined to strangle you and poison me. You know very well, too, that indulgent heaven inspired, as it were, my little dwarf with artful means to give me timely notice of the rash resolutions of the king, my cruel husband. No sooner had the faithful Cador obliged you to obey my orders and to fly the court, but he ventured to enter my apartment in the dead of night through a private door. He snatched me up and conveyed me directly into the temple of Orosmedes, where the holy Magus, who was his brother, locked me up in that august and awful statue that stands erect upon the pavement of the temple, and, colossus-like, touches the lofty ceiling with his head. There I lay concealed, or rather buried for some time, though taken all imaginable care of, and furnished with all the necess necessaries of life by that venerable and loyal priest. In the meantime, his apothecary entered at break of day into my apartment, with a potion in his hand, composed of opium, black hellebore, aconite, and other ingredients still more baneful. While this mercenary officer of the king's vengeance was thus employed, another, as inhuman as himself, went to your lodgings with the silken cord. Both, however, were disappointed, as both of us were fled. Cador, very officious, flew to the king in order the more artfully to blind him, and in a feigned passion railed at us both, and charged us both as perfidious traitors. And for that villain Zadig, said he, he has taken his flight towards India. And your false, ungrateful concert, sire, said he, is fled to Memphis. The guards were ordered that moment to pursue us both. The couriers who flew after me knew nothing of me. I had never exposed my face unveiled to anyone but yourself, and that too in the presence and by the express order of my royal master. As they had no other marks to distinguish me from others but my stature as it had been described, a young lady just of my size but in all probability much more handsome presented herself to their view on the frontiers of Egypt. She was found alone and in a very disconsolate condition. This lady must doubtless, said they to themselves, be the Queen of Babylon, 
and without listening to her complaints, conveyed her instantly to my husband Moabdar. Their gross blunder at first incensed his majesty to the last degree, but after he had viewed the lady with an attentive eye, he found she was extremely pretty, and was soon pacified. Her name was Misouf. I have been since informed that her name in the Egyptian language signifies the fair coquette, and in effect she was so. She had as much art, however, as caprice, for she pleased the king of kings. In short, she had such an ascendancy over him that he didn't scruple in public to own her as his wife. When she had secured him thus far in her toils, she never concealed her power, but played the part of a perfect humorist. She indulged herself in every whim that came into her head, without fear of being browbeat. In the first place, she insisted that the chief Magus, who was old and gouty, should dance a saraband before her and upon his modest refusal to comply with so preposterous a request, she persecuted him without mercy. Nothing would serve her turn in the next place but his majesty's grand master of the horse must make her a minced pie. The gentleman took the liberty to let her know that he was no professed cook. A tart, however, he must make for her, and she got him turned out of his place for being so monstrously careless as to burn one corner of the crust, whereupon she gave his post to her favourite dwarf, and made her fop of a page the keeper of his majesty's great seal and confidence. Thus she reigned arbitrary, and was the female tyrant of Babylon. All the world deplored the loss of me, their former queen. The king, who never acted the part of a tyrant, till the moment he would have imprisoned me and strangled you, seemed to have drowned all his good qualities in his dotage on that capricious enchantress. He came to the temple on the solemn festival of the sacred fire. I saw him prostrate on the pavement before the statue wherein I was enclosed, imploring the gods to shower down their choicest blessings on his beauteous Misouf. I, with an audible and distinct but hollow tone, addressed myself thus like an oracle to the king of kings. The gods reject the vows of a monarch that acts the tyrant or his subjects, one who could think of murdering an innocent wife, and admit of a worthless beauty to supply her place. Mohabdar was so startled at this unexpected answer from the god he adored, that he was just at the point of distraction. The oracle that I had delivered and the tyrannical proceedings of his new spouse, Misouf, were enough to deprive him of his senses. In short, in a few days, he became a perfect madman. 
her caprice, which seemed a judgment from above, portended a sudden revolution. His subjects accordingly revolted, and were instantly up in arms. Babylon, that had so long indulged herself in indolence and ease, became the seat or theatre of a bloody civil war. Whereupon I was taken from my magnificent prison, the bowels of his god, and set up at the head of a very powerful party. Your friend, Cador, flew to Memphis, in hopes to find you there, and bring you back to Babylon. The prince of Hyrcania, hearing of these intestine broils, returned with a powerful army, in order to form a third party among the Babylonians. He attacked the king, who fled with his fair but fickle Egyptian before him. Moabdar, however, was so closely pursued that he died of the wounds he received in his retreat. Misuf became the fair victim of the conqueror. As for my own part, I had the misfortune to be overpowered likewise, and taken prisoner by an Hyrcanian party who brought me into the presence of the young prince, at the very juncture when Misuf stood before him. You'll smile, doubtless, when I tell you the prince looked upon me as the most amiable captive of the two. But then, I presume you will be sorry to hear, that my hard fate doomed me to be a vassal in his seraglio. He told me, in direct terms, that as soon as he had put a happy issue to one military expedition, which would not, he flattered himself, belong unexecuted, he would honour me with a visit. Judge the dreadful apprehensions I was under upon his making such a peremptory declaration. My obligations to Moabdar were all cancelled, and I was free to be the bride of Zadig, but instead of that I fell into the toils of a barbarian. I answered him with all the resentment becoming one of my high character and unspotted virtue. I had always heard say that heaven bestowed on persons of my rank such a peculiar mark of majesty and grandeur that with a bare word or the glance of an angry eye they could bring down and abase the pride of those audacious creatures that durst to thwart their inclinations. I talked as big as a queen, but I was treated like the most servile domestic. The saucy Hyrcanian, without so much as vouchsafing me one single word, turned to his black eunuch and told him that I was very impertinent. But yet he could not help thinking I was very pretty. He gave him therefore particular orders to take care of me, and put me under the same regimen with respect to my diet as one of his favourites, in order that I might recover my colour, which was somewhat too languid. In a word, that I might become worthy in a little time of his royal favours, and be duly qualified to receive him, when he should honour me so far as to fix the day. 
I told him I would die first. He replied with a sneer that young ladies like me seldom killed themselves and that they were made for enjoyment. And they turned upon his heel and with as careless an air as a man would part with his paroquet when he had shut her up close in her gilded cage. What a shocking state was I in for the first queen of the universe. Nay, I'll say more, for a heart that was wholly devoted to her Zadig. At these endearing words, Zadig threw himself at her feet and bathed them with his tears. Astarte immediately raised him in the most courteous and engaging manner, and thus continued her narration. I too plainly perceived that I was subject to the tyranny of a barbarian, and the rival of a coquette that was a slave like myself. She related to me all her past adventures in Egypt. From the description she gave of her gallant, the time and place, the dromedary he was mounted on, and from every other minute circumstance, I imagined it was yourself that played the hero in her favour. As I made no doubt but that you resided somewhere in Memphis, I determined to go thither myself, but in disguise. Beauteous Miss Sooth, said I, you are of a much sprightlier disposition than I am. You will be able to amuse the gay young prince of Hyrcania a thousand times better than I shall. Find out some way, therefore, for my escape, by which you will be sole lady regent. You will oblige me to the last degree by your friendly assistance, and at the same time get rid of a rival. Missouf, cajoled with the hint, came into my measures directly. She took care to send me packing forthwith with no other attendant than an old Egyptian slave. No sooner had I reached the borders of Arabia, but a notorious freebooter, one Arbogad by name, picked me up as I was strolling along and sold me to some merchants who conveyed me to yonder castle, the magnificent residence of the emir Ogol. He purchased me at all adventures without inquiring what or who I was. He is a perfect debauchee. His sole delight lies in good eating, wine and women, and is one who imagines that the Almighty sent him into the world for no other purpose but to gratify his unruly appetites. He is excessively fat, and puffs and blows every moment, like one half-choked. When he has gorged himself so unmercifully that he is ready to burst, his chief physician can persuade him to take anything for his relief, though he laughs at him and despises his advice when he is well and sober. He has intimated to him, that at present his life's in danger, and nothing will restore him but a basilisk boiled in rose water. 
whereupon the Grand Ogle has promised his last favours to that slave, whoever she be, that shall be so fortunate as to catch a basilisk for him, since it seems they are so seldom to be met with. You see, I have others to struggle for the honour proposed, and I never had a less inclination to find out this basilisk than at present, since I have once more met with my dearest Zadig. After this declaration, Astarte and Zadig renewed with warmth the virtuous affection which they had long conceived for each other, and reciprocally uttered all the tenderest expressions that love in distress could possibly devise, and the genie who preside over all the soft passions, wafted their mutual vows of eternal constancy and truth to the sphere of Venus. The whole train of slaves, after a long fruitless search, attended on Ogle to inform him that all their strictest search was fruitless. Zadig desired that he might have the honour to be introduced to his presence. Accordingly he was, and his address was to this or the like effect. May mortal health descend from heaven to preserve a life, sir, so precious as yours is. I am a physician by profession. I flew to your palace on the first news of the dangerous situation you were in, and have brought a basilisk with me, distilled in rose water. I can have no hopes of the honour of your bed in case I succeed in my application. All the favour I request is the release of one of your Babylonish slaves, who has been in your highness's retinue for some time, and I am willing to be your bond-slave in her stead, if I fail of restoring the most illustrious and magnificent ogle to his pristine state of health. The proposition was readily embraced. Astarte was instantly discharged, and set out for Babylon with a proper attendant, according to Zadig's direction, assuring her that she should hear every day by a special courier of his proceedings with his new patient. The farewell which they took of each other was very affectionate and tender, expressive of the strongest obligations to each other. The moments of meeting and those of parting are, as it is written in the sacred book of Zend, the two most remarkable epochas of a lover's life. Zadig's repeated protestations of affection for the Queen were perfectly sincere, and the pure dictates of his heart, and the Queen's love for Zadig had made a deeper impression on hers than she thought proper to discover. In the meantime, Zadig, again addressing himself to Ogle, said, My basilisk, sir, as others are, is not to be dressed or eaten, but all its virtues must penetrate your whole fabric through your pores. I have enclosed my never-failing sudorific in a bladder, 
full-blown and carefully covered with the softest leather. You must kick this bladder, sir, once a day about your hall for a whole hour together, with all the vigour and activity you possibly can. This medicine must be repeated every morning, and I'll attend the operation. Upon your due observance of the regimen, I shall put you under, I doubt not, but with the blessing of heaven on my honest endeavours, I shall give you ample demonstration of my being an adept in physic. Ogle, upon making the first experiment, was ready to expire for want of breath, and thought he should die with the fatigue. The second day did not prove altogether so irksome, and he slept much better at night than he had done before. In short, our doctor in about eight days' time performed an absolute cure. His patient was as brisk, active and gay as one in the bloom of his youth. Now, sir, said Zadig, I'll be ingenuous with you and disclose to you the important secret. You have played at football these eight days successively, and you have lived all that time within the bounds of sobriety and moderation. Know, sir, that there is no such animal in nature as a basilisk, that health is to be secured by temperance and exercise and that the art of making health consistent with luxury is altogether as impracticable and an art in all respects as idle and chimerical as those of the philosopher's stone, judicial astrology, or any other reveries of the like airy and fantastic nature. Ogle's head physician, apprehensive that this unexpected cure thus wrought by a stranger through such an anti-medicinal preparation, might possibly not only render himself the object of contempt in the eye of his great master, but cast a kind of slur in general on his whole fraternity, convened a set of petty doctors and apothecaries who were his vassals and entirely devoted to his interest to find out some sure ways and means to cut off in private his dreadful rival. But while their wicked plot was hatching, Zadig received a courier from the Queen Astarte. End of chapter 15